From Steel Valley Media, this is the Frosty Podcast. The Fortune 500 is the iconic list of large companies in this country. When you've made the Fortune 500, you know you've made the big time. It's a measure of prestige. It says they're big enough to play with the big boys. Welcome back to the Frosty Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Frost. With me, as always, Tony Perenni. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podbean. Follow us on Twitter, at FrostyPod, for all the latest info. Tony, we have reached the end of our season. We have a champion to crown and a little bit of reflection on this season as we go and close it out with this final episode feels like just a, a month ago we started all these and started talking to guys about their upcoming drafts and welcoming vince and charlie into the league and now here we are and we're naming naming vince a circuit city capital champion in his first year he made came in and made it look easy yeah he he really with a roster that was in the toilet bowl playoffs last year Comes in his first year, never having done an auction draft. You and I were talking after the draft. We thought he put the best team together. Uh, and I'm pretty sure he was uh, three sheets to the wind most of that draft, too. So he puts together a great team who's essentially dominant from start to finish. I know Kevin gave him a run there at the end of the regular season. But uh, when, the, when it came to it, I think Vince was kind of toying with the league, making, it think like, making us think that somebody else had a chance. And when it came to championship time it was pedal to the metal and he put up a great game and we'll break it down here in a minute. But you know, Tony, what, uh, what's your overall take here with Vince? I mean, it's, it's a great effort coming into the league. He put together a team that was uh, pretty deep across the board. Uh, some of the trades that I, I did with him helped him win that. And those, some of those guys, uh, not the one I expected to, but some of those guys really performed for him down the stretch. Uh, but really, he put together a team that's pretty deep, and then Saquon Barkley came back to life the last two weeks here, and uh, he's tough to beat when that happens. Uh, Saquon kind of stumbled through most of the season here and kind of made him regret spending all that money on him, but at the end of the day, it ended up paying off. So uh, big congrats to Vince there in getting this W. He's going to have a major target on his back next year, and I think he's going to be feeling the pressure, but he gets to enjoy this this trophy and these winnings for a year at least. All right, Tony, let's get right into it. Opening bell presented by Dunder Mifflin Paper Company Incorporated. Only the one game to go over our Circuit City Capital Bowl, where we see Grandpa's Cheese Barn, who was projected to win. 131.4 to 129.8 ends up getting the win 180.5 points to Kevin Hulix 99.2 nearly doubling up his score gets fantastic showings out of Saquon Barkley 43.9 points Tyler Boyd 33.8 Kenyon Drake 33.4 Patrick Mahomes has a Pretty good effort at 25.4. Vince, with really a top-to-bottom showing as his team comes out and flexes, they are now the champions, overcoming a 2.2-point showing from Tyler Lockett. On the other side of things, 
Kevin Hewl, Kevin Hewlett's law offices of Saul Goodman, really not a bright spot on the team. Jared Cook gets 23.4 as his top scorer. Deshaun Watson, only 9.1. Mike Boone was a last-minute replacement for a Derrick Henry who was ruled out Sunday morning. Uh, gives him 4.3. But Kevin's roster kind of doomed from the start there with, with the injuries he faced. Yeah, it was a rough time for the injury bug to finally hit Kevin this year because uh, his team has been really rolling along there, eight straight victories. And then uh, shows up this week, Derrick Henry gets ends up being a late scratch. Luckily, he went and picked up Mike Boone off the waiver wire, but Boone did not perform on Monday night the way most of the fantasy analysts out there expected him to. The Packers' defense performed very stingily against him. Uh, and really, the Texans just not doing what they should do against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You'd expect going in that that was your biggest strength going into this week was Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins going up against a defense that, through the air, struggles to stop anybody. And uh, end up getting nine points from Watson and seven points from Hopkins. It's just not what you expect to have and not what you look to have during a championship game. So, uh monumental effort by Kevin this year to even get himself in this spot after the start he, that he had and looked like he was a well-oiled machine there going down the stretch and that he was going to be the team to beat. But uh, Vince's team regains his mojo at the right time uh, while Kevin's gets hit with a little bit of injuries uh, on Vince's side. Um, you know, Austin Eckler has been there all year, been pretty solid for him. Patrick Mahomes has been steady, but uh, when when the guy you go out and spend $66 on, Saquon Barkley, finally comes back to life in the last two weeks in the playoffs and puts up over 35 points both weeks, he's going to be really, really tough to beat, regardless of what the rest of his roster is doing. Uh, that that was, Those are Christian McCaffrey-type numbers that he was putting up all year. Um, and, then, and then with Kenyon Drake's uh, resurgence there uh, – Miami couldn't figure out how to use him. Arizona does, and they are using him very effectively. Uh, just really caps a great season for Vince there. Uh, he's going to have a lot of expectations going into next season. But I just, I just want to highlight real quick just how razor thin the margin for error in this league was. Let, let's take a trip back a couple weeks here. To week 13, we talked about it quite a bit with the playoff push. There was one big catch in the Monday night game. Kyle Rudolph of the Minnesota Vikings catching a touchdown pass uh, that ended up being a playoff-altering catch here. Uh, what it did at the time, it ended up catapulting Joe into the playoffs, uh, pushed me down to the toilet bowl, and it, it solidified Vince's first-round bye there. If that catch doesn't happen, Dave ends up winning that week, uh, ends up locking up a first-round bye because of beating Joe and the amount of points he put up because Vince did not have a very good week. Uh, all of a sudden, Vince has to play that first week of the playoffs. You know how many points his team put up that first week? 91 points. He'd be sitting at home right now. So just shows how important it was for him to get the bye that week and get his team rested. Um, and just how thin the margin for error in this league is with how much parity we have. If, if that catch from Kyle Rudolph doesn't happen, Joe ends up in the toilet bowl. My team ends up in the playoffs. My team's been putting up 150-plus points on a weekly basis since the playoffs started. Dave's team could still be going. Uh, everything would look vastly different. So just just shows that being able to lock up that first-round bye was pivotal 
for, for Vince in this stretch and it ends up catapulting him to a championship. So big congrats to Vince. Yeah, definitely. It, 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 I didn't realize the downstream effects of that. I know we talked about it at the time, but, but yeah, as we fast forward now with looking back, reflecting on it, how, how incredible that play really was for, for the future of this league. But yeah, uh, certainly no, nothing to take away from Vince there and a special frosty podcast. Congratulations on winning in his inaugural season, the fortune 500 league. Yeah. And he's going to be the, uh, the heel moving forward. I think, I, I think he's going to take a little bit of steam off of, off of Steve there. He has long been the most hated. Uh, Vince has been chirping in the, uh, in the discord quite a bit, trying to drub up some hate for himself. It's probably working. Uh, if, if I know the fantasy gods and they're, uh, their sense of humor. They probably already have him penciled in for the toilet bowl next season. So enjoy this while it lasts, Vince. <laughs> yeah, he'll be uh, he'll be the Kalen King of next year. <laughs> and that'll do it for opening bell presented by Dunder Mifflin Paper Company Incorporated. Our final opening bell of the season. Stick with us. As we wrap up our season, we want to remind you the Frosty Live Tour is coming to a city near you. For the latest on cities and dates, check out TicketGeek.com slash Frosty. Don't forget, for 20% off your tickets, promo code TONY. We have over 30 cities now that we're going to be stopping in. We're going to have coaches. We're going to have guests. We're going to be talking fantasy football, NFL, some XFL. And we're going to be taking questions from the audience. It should be a great time. Tickets for the Frosty Live Tour make a great stocking stuffer. So like I said, make sure you check out TicketGeek.com slash Frosty. Promo code Tony. Welcome back to the Frosty Podcast. We are talking now about some NFL news. We gave Dave Peschin the day off. We're recording on Christmas Eve, so we gave him the holiday off. So I will take over his role. And Tony... Let's talk Urban Meyer. Urban has been rumored to be in discussions with the Browns, the Cowboys, and the Redskins. Now, notably, Tony, only one of those teams actually has a coaching vacancy right now. The other two are just speculative. Uh, but what are you hearing about Urban Meyer? Well, I've been waiting for his name to pop up in NFL circles uh, here ever since he left the Ohio State post because um, this, this feels like the next step for him. Uh, things got pretty messy there at Ohio State at the end, and I, I think a lot of this, the stuff surrounding him makes him a tough hire if you're a college at this point. Um, and I'm not sure how much left he has to prove at the college level at this point either. Um, <clears throat> but, but looking at the way uh, – his name keeps popping up for all these teams. Uh, it feels to me like he might kind of have his eye on the Cowboys job and might be trying to leverage that with some of these other openings as well. Um, but at the same time, I, th I think he's, he's enjoying being in a power position of not having a job and, and being, uh, you know, one, one of the best looking girls at the dance right now where, with all these different teams courting him. I'm not sure how much he really wants to pop back into it at this point, but if a team throws enough money at him, uh, say Jerry, um, especially for a, a role that's as prestigious as the Cowboys role, you could possibly see him coming back for it. Uh, where do you stand with it? It's a really interesting thing to me, and, and I'm 
it's always interesting when a college coach does go to the pros, what their thought process was, because it, although I know it's the same game, it's a whole different atmosphere, you know, and, and you know, way better than I do, but you know, in the college game, it's a lot about recruiting. You, you're picking your players, but you're, you're trying to bring them in. You're trying to sell your program and everything is about selling your program for the next year or for the next four years. And certainly you're, you're trying to win now also. So you're balancing both of these things throughout the year. Uh, you're dealing with college kids who have college kid problems. You know, uh, they break up with their girlfriend. They have tests. They have finals. They have a paper. They have a lot of other things pulling them away. You move up into the pros and, you know, the, the guys are getting older. They're getting more mature. They don't have a lot of those other issues. But now they have agents. They have contracts. They're trying to make sure their stats look good so they can get that next contract, get more money. You're dealing with egos. You're dealing with not being the face of the team anymore. When we look at these college programs, essentially, who's the face of Clemson? It's Dabo. Who's the face of Alabama? It's Saban. It's not the players. The players come and go. That's not the case in the pros. Who's the face of the Cowboys? Well, that's a tricky one. That's actually Jerry Jones. You know, who's the face of the Packers? That's Aaron Rodgers. Who's the face of the Patriots, uh, Bill Belichick or Tom Brady? So it kind of depends on where you are and what kind of coach you are. But you have these ego power struggles that can be an issue, may not be an issue. But one of the best organizations the history of the NFL has ever seen, the Patriots, are dealing with this as they have three egos at the same time pulling their own different ways. And every year we hear about all of the internal struggles. They don't make it to the outside but they're certainly on the inside. So what does Urban Meyer want to do is the question. He's certainly a great recruiter as he's done phenomenal things of both Florida and Ohio State, but there's also a lot of scandal that follows him. Scandal that wouldn't be present in the NFL. But how is he going to deal with the egos? That's the question that I would have. Um, the Cowboys seems like the most logical fit from a they're ready to win now if urban is going to find early success it's probably going to be with the cowboys but how is he going to do with jerry jones and more importantly how is jerry jones going to do with him uh, certainly you know bill parcells who was a well-documented coach that didn't go well so urban meyer's first trip to the nfl you might not want jerry jones breathing down your neck the browns job is interesting to me he certainly is a, a celebrity and a hero in Ohio, and I think the Browns thing only goes to worsen that. No coach has been successful in Cleveland. I have a hard time believing he's going to be the first-time NFL coach. And the Redskins job, I don't know about that one. There's a lot of question marks there, but I feel like the team would be his to run. Um, but it just comes down to, a, is there enough talent there? Yeah, from Urban's standpoint, I I don't have any reservations about whether he would work in the NFL. Like he to me, he is a CEO personality. He's a guy who has a presence to him when he gets out there in front of a, a locker room. Like a lot of these players that he has either coached in college or played against in college, you know, he he has a uh, 
he has he has some credibility to him. So he wouldn't be having the same issues that you're having with, uh, say, Freddie Kitchens up there, who everybody in the, the locker room knows he's a glorified running backs coach. Uh, I don't think Urban would have any issues getting players to buy in there. He's dealt with a lot of big personalities at Ohio State. You know, Ezekiel was kind of acting like a pro player before he was even in the pros. Um, and Urban has routinely traded uh, trade secrets with Bill Belichick. Uh, I, I think he's, he's very well versed and would probably be able to pull off the move. The question to me is, would he want to? Because look at these three different situations. If, if you made a list of the top five owners in the league that you wouldn't want to work for, all three of the owners for the, these three franchises will be on it. Uh, Daniel Snyder is, is pretty much heralded as the worst owner in the league consistently. Jimmy Haslam uh, is very meddlesome and doesn't seem to know which direction to go at any given point and then uh, changes his mind and changes course with a moment's notice. And uh, Jerry Jones is well-documented. You, know, you have an owner who's going to be doing weekly press conferences and weekly radio shows. You don't want that hanging over your head. So the question to me, if you're urban, is do, do you want to deal with any of these situations? Because uh, coming in and with the success that you've had, uh, you should be able to demand a, a good amount of power from either of these organizations. Maybe not so much being able to draft the players, but you're going to be making a lot of the decisions out there and you need the owner to stay out of your way. Um, so that, that's why I keep coming back to the point where I don't know if I see Urban taking any of these jobs or popping into the NFL at this point because I'm just not sure any of these roles are right for him. I, I think there's definitely a piece in his mind that is extremely intrigued by the Cowboys gig, given that uh, they're the Cowboys, they're America's team, they have all that prestige to them. Um, the, the Browns, he's a Northeast Ohio kid, grew up in Ashtabula. Any coach from the Northeast Ohio area – uh, definitely has a little piece of them uh, in the back of their mind with that is that what if scenario. What if I was the coach to bring, bring the Browns a Super Bowl? Um, but I'm not sure that's going to be enough to make him jump at that gig. And, uh, you know, right now, as Maverick's telling you right now, Freddie Kitchen still has a job. So we're, if we, we might be putting the cart before the horse in that instance. Um It'll be interesting to see what other roles open up here. I'm not sure there's going to be quite the amount of openings this, this season that we're normally accustomed to. You know, the, the Lions have already said they're bringing Matt Patricia back. Um, looks like the Jags are probably bringing Doug Marone back. It seems like they've they've pegged Tom Coughlin as the, as the overwhelming issue there and want to continue going forward with Marone. So I'm not sure there's going to be an overwhelming amount of openings available out there. And all of the openings that are existing are tied to poor ownership. Uh, it's it's going to make it tough for any of these uh, big name candidates like Urban Meyer to, to really come in and, and take one of them. No, I'm with you 100%. And I, yeah, I don't know what's going to be left. If I'm Urban Meyer, there's no urgency here. I'm sitting back. The, I keep going back to the Cowboys because it is the most talented team. If you're Jerry Jones, do you at some point say, I'm going to bring in a coach that I believe in, that I believe can do coaching as well as I own and give them the reins at least a little bit more than he has in the past. You would have thought that that guy would have been Bill Parcells and clearly it wasn't, but that also was a long time ago. It's pretty 
well documented at this point that Jerry Jones wants a Super Bowl before he's he's done, either as Cowboys owner or uh, before he dies, because he is an older guy. Uh, you know, is is he willing at this point to find somebody he really trusts and give the reins a little bit to them? Uh, probably not in a GM role, but at least in a coaching role. And is Urban Meyer that guy, or is there somebody who can be that guy? Well, look at all the names that the Cowboys have been attached to. It's been Urban Meyer, it's been Matt Rule, it's been Lincoln Riley. It's been all college coaches, really. Uh, that that speaks to me that Jerry is trying to recapture the Jimmy Johnson experiment that he did uh, years back and ended up uh, giving the Cowboys uh, four four Super Bowl rings. Um, you know, go back, get Jimmy Johnson from the University of Miami, bring in the, the big college coach, give him a certain amount of power. And Jimmy Johnson pushed back on Jerry Jones quite a bit. So uh, that might be the point where Jerry's at now, where he's uh, starting to self-reflect a little bit. You know what? I'm, I'm going to have to give up a little bit of control. This whole yes man thing that Jason Garrett's doing isn't getting us results. Uh, I need a coach that can actually you know, get this team across the finish line. Uh, I think from a GM standpoint, his son, Stephen Jones, seems to make pretty good decisions for them. They've been drafting pretty well, uh, and he's done a pretty good job of keeping Jerry from making the emotional decisions there. But they need a good X's and O's coach in there to get some of this talent point in the right direction. Now, uh, as you mentioned, Cowboys roster is very talented, but they do have some big-time cap concerns concerns looming here. Uh Dak Prescott's going to be a free agent this offseason, likely going to get franchise tagged. Amari Cooper's also going to be a free agent. You're not going to be able to tag both of them. You have Byron Jones at corner, who has uh, turned into a number one legitimate shutdown cornerback for you, and he's also going to be a free agent. So you have a lot of decisions to make, and you just turned around and uh, paid a large sum of money to Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, we talked about quite a bit in the offseason. Like, nobody else out there is paying running backs except for the Cowboys. Uh, and Zeke hasn't exactly torn it up this season to his standards. So I, I think there's, there are a couple looming concerns around the corner, but uh, at the end of the day, if you have Dak and Zeke in a solid offensive line, I think you have a pretty good idea of where you can get that team if you have a good coaching staff. So I'm, I'm still not convinced Urban is going to be uh, the one to, to take that. I think Matt Rule is probably very interested in the job doesn't feel to me like Lincoln Riley really wants to leave Oklahoma. He's a, he's a God there and hasn't, he hasn't won himself a national title there, which I think is his ultimate goal. Um, there's, there's not going to be any shortage of candidates for the Cowboys. Let's put it that way. All right, Tony, next up here, we got to talk the hottest player in football and that is Lamar Jackson. Tony, have you ever seen anybody like or anywhere near Lamar Jackson? Uh, near yes, Michael Vick. Uh, he he's very reminiscent of Michael Vick when he first came into the league. But uh, the difference is Lamar Jackson's a lot better than Michael Vick, specifically as a passer. Yeah, if we look, Lamar Jackson this year has a completion percentage of sixty six point one, throwing for over three thousand yards. I mean that with a with a quarterback rating of one thirteen. I mean that's amongst the best in the league. And then you have his rushing, and he obviously broke the record here, Michael Vick's record for rushing, but he has over 1,200 yards, and they're going to go ahead and sit him out this week 17, so this will probably uh, end his regular season. 
but 1,200 yards for a quarterback. I mean, those are great running back numbers, let alone quarterback numbers. Is is it is Lamar Jackson a guy? You know, so he came in partway through the year last year. He certainly was good. I don't think anybody thought he was this good. And then this year, obviously, it's just it's just an incredible. You're going to give all these teams an offseason to try to figure him out. And I, I imagine some teams will, most teams won't. But do you think Lamar Jackson is a guy that you can figure out? Uh, yes, if, if he doesn't continue to evolve as a passer. Um, he still shows a lot of the inaccurate traits. Uh, I know his completion percentage doesn't show it, but a lot of times he's throwing to wide open guys because the defenses are still uh, trying to find the ball on their side. But if he doesn't evolve as a passer and get more accurate from the pocket, because eventually these defensive coordinators are going to find ways to bottle him up and keep him in the, in the pocket. So um, we'll, we'll probably, once draft time comes around, uh, look more at uh, some of some of my uh, evaluations of quarterbacks in the past who have hit on, who have missed on. But Lamar Jackson, I've pretty much pegged right on the nose uh, at this point. I had him as a franchise quarterback in that draft. He was one of four that I had. And um, he's he's really been exactly what I thought he could be coming in. You know, I, I said coming out, uh, this guy, when he gets into a starting job in the NFL, is going to be an absolute problem for defenses because they don't see anything like him on a, on a week-to-week basis. And it's going to be a huge adjustment for anyone to have to make in one uh, game week of, of preparation. Uh, the real key to him is going to be how he evolves after that because once you have a full season's worth of tape on somebody, uh, defenses start changing the way they play you. So that, that offense they're running in Baltimore right now is a, it's a college offense. It's a read option uh, offense that you would see uh, a lot of schools with mobile quarterbacks will use. And they brought it to the NFL. And I, I guarantee you all the defensive coordinators that are facing the Ravens this offseason are going to go down to colleges that face these types of offense, pick the brains of the defensive coordinators down there. Like, Hey, what are you doing to stop this? Um, you know, what What are you doing to accomplish the gap integrity issues we have here? They're going to come back with a completely new game plan for this next season. So, to me, the Ravens, uh, their, their championship window is this season. Like, they, I think they need to win the, win it all this season. Um, because I, I, I have some questions as to how Lamar is going to progress next season. And probably even more importantly, is he going to be able to hold up? You know, I've, I haven't watched a ton of Ravens this year. I've, I've obviously watched both games against the Browns being here in, uh, in Northeast Ohio. And he, I, I, the way he is playing right now with them doing all these design runs for him is not sustainable. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, it's a minor miracle that he's made it through this entire season healthy because in those two games against the Browns, he even, even doing a good job protecting himself, running out of bounds and sliding, he still managed to take some pretty good licks. So I, I really have questions about his durability moving forward if, if they continue to run an offense like this. Well, and to your point specifically, you know, they were in kind of garbage time in that, that game against Cleveland this week, and it's designed to run to Lamar Jackson up the middle, and it's like, what are you doing? Uh, but, you know, it's hard to sit here and, and criticize Greg Roman, offensive coordinator, who has done an incredible job with him. And there's a lot of rumors going around that, 
when Baltimore's done, he's going to be in the front seat for a lot of these coaching vacancies that are up or, or coming up because everybody's trying to get the next Lamar Jackson if there is one. Uh, how much do you think the offensive coordinator plays a part in this? Because uh, certainly this offense is something that you really only see in college and some of these uh, you know, old heads in, at, at OC, they're not willing to play the college game, but now they're starting to see how much it works. And do we, is this the beginning of the new NFL? Um, I'm, I don't know if I'd say it's the beginning of the new NFL because uh, this is similar to what we saw in, in San Fran with uh, Kaepernick. And that, that was Greg Roman as the offensive coordinator again. So he's well-versed in uh, building offenses for mobile quarterbacks like this. Uh, and they rode it all the way to a Super Bowl, similar to what Baltimore is possibly able to do here. Uh, and then after that, defenses came back, adjusted to it, and Kaepernick had a hard time adjusting from there. Um, and, and really, uh, they started putting a lot more hits on Kaepernick after that, the defenses. That that ends up typically being the defense's response, is that if, if you're going to run your quarterback all the time, we're going to constantly treat your quarterback like a runner, and we're going to hit the shit out of him. So I, I can almost guarantee that treatment is going to be coming. Um, I think Greg Roman would be a big loss for them. And as we, as we mentioned with some of these openings uh, and worrying about whether some of the big name candidates out there are going to be interested in them, given the ownership situations there, um, you have to think that it's a good possibility Greg Roman is going to be one of the names that, that floats to the top of that list if some of the big name guys don't get scooped up. So um I think he's probably overdue for a shot as a head coach with some of the uh, success he's had at different places at this point. His ability to build running games out of nothing is uh, spectacular. And I, he has been uh, huge for Lamar Jackson. Like if, if Lamar had been drafted any other place uh, where they just tried to turn him into a typical pocket passer, we would not be sitting here talking about, uh, what an outstanding player Lamar Jackson is. I guarantee it. If they, if they tried to fit him into uh, a square hole and try to make him into something that he's not, uh, we'd probably be talking about, uh, I can't believe a team spent a first round pick on, on a player like this, but it, it's been remarkable what the Ravens have done is building their entire offense around him. And it's accentuating all of his strengths and it's, really unlocking all the players around him too. Um, that's, that's why I think they're going to be a tough out this season. I'm, I'm really interested to see how some of the teams that have played him already this year uh, handle him a second time around. So if the Patriots play him again, Belichick gets a second shot at him one year. Uh, if the Chiefs play him again, you know, I think that that offense is a little less difficult to defend the second time you see it, uh, especially when you have – a bunch of film of your own guys going up against it. And you know what, what got you the first time uh, that's going to be something to look for. But I think moving forward, they do need to take some steps to get away from some of this uh, design quarterback run stuff that they're doing. Cause I know it's, it's successful right now, but it is definitely going to take, take years off of Lamar's career. Just look at Cam Newton. Uh, Panthers did that for years and Cam is six, five, 250 pounds. Uh, Lamar is not. <laughs> And right now it's, it's questionable whether Cam can even make it through a season anymore with the beating he's taken. Tony, last up on my list of NFL news, Beast Mode is back in Seattle. Marshawn Lynch 
has officially signed with the Seattle Seahawks for this last game and a playoff run. Injuries to Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, and C.J. Procise have really left the Seahawks with no real options at running back. So Marshawn Lynch is back. Uh, what, what, if any, impact do you think he's going to make after, after being out the, this whole year? Well, he's fresh. I'll give him that. He could, could he be this year C.J. Anderson for them? Uh, if somebody comes in off the couch with fresh legs and ends up uh, being able to roll through a bunch of tired defenses, I think it's possible. Um, he definitely knows the offense well there. Um, probably need to temper expectations a little bit. They also signed Robert Turbin uh, to split carries with him, so he's not getting the full load. But there's plenty of opportunity there for him. If he is in game shape, um, which I don't know how he possibly could be after being off for an entire year, but uh, there's definitely going to be some opportunity for him there. I'm, I'm just disappointed he did this, you know, after the fantasy season ended. Yeah, we've been having Gronk watch. We should have been having Beast Mode watch because uh, I this is not a name that I've really heard a ton of in the offseason. You know, obviously, there's been a lot of rumors around Gronk coming back, uh, but Marshawn Lynch, not really. He was uh, seen handing out shots at the Raiders game last week uh, in, the, in the tailgate, so I don't think too many people thought he would be looking to come back to Seattle, but they had the, the physical a couple days ago. I'm kind of curious to see how that would go if he would be in enough, good enough shape to play essentially this week. And apparently he is because he's, he's signed. So it'll be really interesting to see how he's able to come in here. Uh, and yeah, I'm with you. I think we really missed something by not having him in the, in the fantasy this year. Yeah, we really did. And it's pretty clear that beast mode is living his best life right now. <laughs> Tailgating the Raiders games <laughs> and then playing for the Seahawks a week later. <laughs> Can't beat that. <laughs> They make movies on that kind of stuff, Tony. They do. <laughs> All right, Tony, not so much NFL news, but we'll round out our NFL conversation with this. Playoffs, for a large part, are kind of set. We're still trying to figure out who's going to play who exactly. But who is your projection for who's going to do well in the playoffs and who's going to be in the Super Bowl game and who wins the Super Bowl? Well, in the AFC, you can go ahead and chop three teams out of it already. Uh, whoever's four through six, uh, just get rid of them. I, I can't see them making a run. It's going to be down to the Ravens, Patriots, or Chiefs. I think the Chiefs right now are definitely a team to watch watch out for, the way they're surging and the way their defense is playing right now. Mahomes is rounding back into his MVP form, and the defense has been playing lights out for the past couple of weeks. They have already played the Ravens once and beat them. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to be intimidated facing that offense a second time. You know, as I mentioned during our Lamar discussion, I, the Ravens, you know, the AFC is going to go through them, but they're going to have to face teams they played already in New England and Kansas City that have already seen that offense once. You know, the, the speed of Lamar Jackson and uh, the, the scheme of that, that run scheme is shocking the first time you see it. But the second time around, I'm, I'm not convinced they're going to have the same success and the Patriots definitely have their own issues this year, but uh, they morph into a beast this time of year. But I think I'm going to I'm gonna take the Kansas City Chiefs to represent the AFC. And Andy Reid gets over that hump and finally makes it to a Super Bowl with his new team there. On the NFC side, uh, there's definitely a, a lot of good teams on that side. The, the playoffs have essentially been locked up for weeks now with how top-heavy that, that conference is. 
I just keep coming back to the New Orleans Saints. To me, they are they are the most complete team there. Uh, the thing that might hurt them is having to go on the road. If they end up having to go to Lambeau uh, for that second game, uh, that might hurt them a bit. But I just feel like they're, they're so much more complete than the Packers are. And I, I think that uh, the Niners are going to have a hard time beating them twice. So I'm going to go Chiefs and Saints for a Super Bowl. And uh, I, I believe we'll we'll be coming back uh, for a podcast the week of the Super Bowl here. So I'll be able to check in to see how that does. But in, in that battle, I will take uh, Drew Brees and the Saints uh, to get their second Super Bowl. Where are you at, Derek? Yeah, on the NFC side, I'm with you. I think the Saints are, are the most complete team we saw with Teddy Bridgewater coming in. When Drew Brees was out, they really didn't miss a beat. And if you could take out your Hall of Fame quarterback and plug in a guy who's been mediocre in the league, and and still do as well as they did, you know you have a you have a pretty good team there. They've been facing you know some injuries like anybody else, but but no real heavy losses like some of the other teams have. Uh, San Francisco, they've been they've been good throughout the year. I'm just not sure they're ready for the Super Bowl. Uh, they still got kind of a young team trying to figure things out out there. And Green Bay, we've just been trying to figure out who they are all season. And there's been pretty notable issues between Aaron Rodgers and uh, LaFleur out there. So I'm not sure they have what it takes. So I'm with you on that with the Saints. On the other side, on the AFC side, the thing that concerns me about the Chiefs is how many points they give up week in and week out. And I think... You know, you can never count out the Patriots. Their offense is still trying to come together. And a lot of these wins are last second. They're holding off teams. That defense is phenomenal. But that defense struggles against Baltimore. And with another shot at Baltimore, if that should happen in the AFC Championship game, you know, will they be able to figure them out? I think at the end of the day, no. And I I am going to go with Baltimore, Lamar Jackson, and squad to go ahead and take that. And I think we're going to see Baltimore versus New Orleans in the in the Super Bowl. At that point, I think New Orleans wins it. They're the more complete team, like you said. They have a lot of athletes on defense, so I, I think I think New Orleans Saints are going to be our champions. But Baltimore is going to give them a heck of a showing. Uh, we're going to see New England not in the Super Bowl. We'll find out pretty quick. Uh, who was who right, and we'll be able to review these projections here in the next coming weeks. So I think it's going to shape up to be a pretty pretty good playoffs, and especially during a month of January where nobody has a lot going on. We can kind of camp out on the couch and watch some games. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, and honestly, you know, to, to take this conversation a little bit of a turn here, I think the NFL has the best playoff system. It's the right amount of games. You know, we look at like baseball, hockey, basketball, the seven game series early on. And some of them in the early rounds have a five game series. It just feels too long after a really long regular season. These last four or five weeks of the NFL have been a lot of must win games for teams. Uh, You're going to see a lot of these teams that have things, you know, wrapped up, sit their players in week 17. But up until now, it's really been must-win games. And then you get the playoffs, do or die, you know, win or go home. And it, it just leads to a lot of intrigue, a lot of, you know, your team has to show up every week for the last, you know, four or five weeks of the regular season and throughout the playoffs. 
And I don't think any other league has been able to capture what the NFL is able to do as far as intrigue and interest into the playoff system. Agreed. There's no better drama than the NFL playoffs. And they can uh, really, when there's only one game to, uh, to move on, it, it, you can pack all the buildup into that game. And, uh, if, if we're looking at the, at the other playoffs, you know, NBA and NHL playoffs, especially specifically the Stanley cup, that's, that's always been one of my favorites, but those playoffs for both basketball and hockey are just so long. It's, it's like another season in itself. And it's easy to, to check out. Like if you if your team ends up losing early in the, in the playoffs, uh, you kind of just check out for a month or so. And then you come back in when the, when the championship rolls around, you don't get to do that in the NFL playoffs. Cause everything's bang, bang, bang. It happens quick in a couple of weeks. Uh, and you have big games every, every single week. And then they can build up the championship game for two weeks and everybody in America is watching at that point. So there's a, there's no beating that. Um, that's for sure. Uh, you know, the NFL just, it's, it's a money printing machine. <laughs> if you're an owner in the NFL, like you're just, you're getting richer and richer by the second uh, with just, it's a league that can't fail. No. And even with, you know, there's been, when you're the shining star, you're going to have a lot of rocks thrown at you. And they've had a lot of various reasons for people calling boycotts. And, and you know, we're not going to dig into all that. But th- at the end of the day, they have the most popular sport in America, and they generally run it very well. There's been a lot of, you know, concern about referees and all that. But at the end of the day, it's it's put up or shut up, win or go home. And they you're right, they're a money-printing machine because they just – they. They have a really good bead on what the NFL fan wants, and they deliver that week in and week out, including controversy. And controversy, you know, brings attention, brings media. You know, there's a lot of people out there say there is there is no bad media coverage. There's only more people talking about you and your sport. Even for a team like Cleveland, where you essentially know week year in and year out, they're they're going to be bad. Cleveland still shows up. They still tailgate. They still buy the jerseys. They still do everything. There's a few of these franchises that don't have great fan support, but they're they're not many. You know, even the the Bills, Bills Mafia has taken over because they just have such a strong fan base. So the NFL is showing they're not afraid to try things. They're not afraid to try new cities, and they just every every move they make seems to go well. Or if it doesn't, they scrap it quick and and go to a move that does work. Yeah, they really fit the uh, millennial mindset where, you know, our attention spans are, are low. So when you only have one game a week, it really fits in for that. You know, this has always been the model for them, but I don't think it's ever been. You never had the gap between the sports, uh, for football and the other sports as you do right now. Whereas uh, the other ones, 82 games for basketball and hockey, 160 plus for baseball. Um, in a generation now where people just don't want to, lock into that many games uh those those sports are really struggling to consistently capture fan support on a regular basis where uh in a, in a league where you only have one game a week you talk about it all week you break it down all week and then you, you play the game and then you spend a couple of days talking about what happened you know it, it just it perfectly fits uh where society's going right now as, as far as the things they want to pay attention to so um you know and nfl is 
obviously the most successful league out there and it's just getting more successful by the minute. And we really haven't even gotten any of the gambling um, revenue coming through for them yet. Cause once that comes through uh, it's going to be even more. So for people like us that do fantasy football podcasts, it's great news because there's always going to be stuff to talk about. Um, and, and then after Super Bowl, we get XFL starts Derek. So when we start in that pod, <laughs> yeah so xfl starts week after the super bowl uh you know we might have to drop a couple special ones throughout but uh yeah the xfl we're gonna see how that goes if they go the way of the aaf my guess is no they're gonna be better run but we'll see if they can capture that same intrigue the nfl carries uh, it's gonna be a really interesting dynamic one that we haven't you know there's the xfl back you know years ago but it's a whole different generation now and different fan needs, we'll say. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I'm excited for it, though. Yeah, exciting stuff. More football is always a good thing in my book. And that'll do it for our NFL news section. Stay with us. Hey, you procrastinators out there. Yeah, I'm talking to you. We're officially under 24 hours until Christmas morning. You still haven't finished your shopping. That uncle is tough to buy for your parent that seemingly doesn't like anything, you're really in bad shape at this point. So let your friends at the Jelly of the Month Club bail you out this holiday season. Jelly of the Month Club has spent the past 30 years sending the highest quality of jellies and jams to all the 50 states, as well as three Canadian provinces. And they're hosting their biggest sale ever right now. Log on to readyforthatjelly.com and input the promo code FROSTY19 to get 65% off your first three months of jelly shipments, which includes this month's holiday fan favorite, Elves Nog flavor. So if you're still looking for that perfect last-minute gift, or maybe looking for a replacement for Christmas bonuses for the office this year, you monster, hit up Jelly of the Month Club for the gift that keeps on giving. All right, Tony. With this being our last regular episode of the season... I think it's only fitting that we wrap it up by talking about our top five moments between the podcast and the league overall. What do you say? I think it's a great idea. Great way to reflect on the season and uh, see where we came from and uh, just get a little nostalgic for the season we just had. You know, I love me some nostalgia. All right, let's start. Number five, Kevin Hulick's Law Offices of Saul Goodman. Rags to Riches, the Cinderella story rising from the ashes. He starts one and five, Tony. Going into week seven, we're talking about it's now or never for Kevin. He's got to win this week. He's essentially has to win the vast majority of the games moving forward. He was scoring a bunch of points, but kept running into the buzzsaw. He goes on a seven week winning streak. And this past game in the championship was his first loss since week six. Just an amazing run at the end of the season. Yeah, it was it was uh, well documented in our podcast here. Him starting out one and five, and you know every every single week the story was you know Kevin's putting up all these points. He just keeps getting bad lucks with the draw there, uh, and and then it, it turns into uh, okay. I think this is the week Kevin finally turns it around. And then he would get accumulate another loss. And the next week, like, okay, this is the week he's going to turn it around. Finally getting to the point where he's one in five. And 
we're looking around like, oh, maybe this isn't going to turn around for him. But, uh, you know, as soon as we stop believing, really, that's when his team turns it on. And they do exactly what we were saying on the podcast that he was going to need to do, essentially win out. Uh, he, he does it. His team starts putting up a ton of points. The amount of points getting scored against him uh, drops off big time, as analytically you would project that it would. And uh, he ends up rolling off eight straight victories on the way to the championship game. And thought this was going to be the year for him to really wrap it up. But a little bit of adversity hits him there at the end. It makes it tough to overcome, but just a, a meteoric rise for Kevin there in a season that looked like it was lost from the start. This has to be one of the top moments of the year because it, it was really defining of our season. Number four, week 11, Tony, your team went up against Tyler Kerr's Cyberdyne Systems. Tyler at the time was three and eight. You were at six and four in the midst of what ended up being a five game losing streak. The projections were that you were going to win 116 to 108. We had Dave Pestian on as our guest picker. And through laughing, he picks the upset of Tyler Kerr. I kind of uh, leaned into that one and I thought it was a funny pick. So I went with it as well. We both picked Ty saying that this was going to be the week that he comes out and shows up. And sure enough, Tony, he wins 115 to 109. Really a uh, a pick out of nowhere, and we both ended up being correct on it. Tony, how'd you feel after that one? That had to hurt. Oh, uh, yeah, hurt badly, especially when looking back, I end up in the toilet bowl because of a loss like that. Um, it was definitely not something I expected coming into the year, not even something I expected during that week. Uh, but Ty's team had the propensity on a week-in, week-out basis to – kind of throw in a week there where he puts up a bunch of points amidst most of his 80-point efforts. And I had a feeling going into that week he was due. Uh, I don't know if you guys did or not. I think you guys were just trolling me. But I had a a feeling going into that week that uh, he could put up some points. I was hoping my team would match. They did not. And uh, ended up being a great moment for for the podcast and for the league here. Um, Unfortunately for Ty, it was short-lived. He wasn't able to use that momentum to catapult himself out of ACT territory. So uh, he's, he's currently studying now, but that was, that was a big moment for him there and one that uh, really wrecked my season. Tony, don't feel bad because our number three moment is Melissa Groover picking against Steve in week 10, picking your team because she loves her some Alvin Kamara. Uh, I was shocked by that pick. And really was speechless after, but went ahead and, and picked with her and picked you despite the projections. <laughs> I we still cannot shocked. believe it happened. We all were shocked. It took me a day or two for my jaw to come back off, off the counter here from, from when she did it. I, coming into that, uh, those, that forecast, I, I thought that was going to be just chalk, those, those selections. I didn't expect a whole lot of drama out of it. And uh, I, I think Steve, even in the background, was uh, really surprised that, that she went against him uh, and, and picked her boy Kamara over Steve. Unfortunately, Kamara couldn't deliver that week or, or most of the season. Uh, as Steve comes away with the victory and probably has some good, uh, some b- good bragging rights inside the house there, uh, something he can always remind her about, uh, her having little faith in him that week. But 
we had a lot of laughs on the podcast about that, and that was definitely one of the more shocking instances on this podcast this year. Number two, Kalen King's Prestige Worldwide. Kalen comes on the podcast in week four, and he's feeling pretty good. He has a good record and comes on with a lot of swag, essentially guaranteeing playoffs, and then goes to lose five straight weeks. (laughs) And then the Frosty Podcast curse was born. Kalen begging to come back on the podcast to try to set it straight. But the fantasy gods made their mark, and Kalen winds up finding himself last place in the league. Uh, definitely a top moment for our podcast. It was a mighty fall from the top for Kalen, somebody who was in the championship game against Steve last year, starts the season 2-1, and one. looks like he is primed to make another run, flying high off of a big victory against Joe, who at that point in the season had been one of our highest scorers. Uh, Kalen puts up 158 points that week. He's feeling good. He comes on, starts talking a lot of trash, talking about how he's going to win it all this year, and then the bottom drops out. Now we've we've had some. Uh, we we've been people have have asked us about a curse a couple times this year. Tim has. Um, Kalen has definitely been the one where, uh, you know. You come on talking all that trash and you can't back it up. Uh, it, it ended up sinking his entire season and put him all the way into the toilet bowl at the end of it. So um, take notice, Vince. You can fall from the top pretty quickly if, if you're a little too arrogant there. <laughs> at our top moment, Tony, week seven, hashtag paint that shed. Dave Peshin versus Steve Groover. When we woke up on Tuesday, Groover had won. And then data data corrections, stat corrections happened. We wake up on Wednesday and it flipped. Dave wins by 0.1 points, leading Groover to lose the first version of the Meanderwood melee and now still has to paint Uncle Doug and Aunt Mary Beth's shed. Uh just a beautiful moment overall. I still could not believe when Vince sent out the Discord that the stat correction had happened. I think we were all one excited and two surprised, Tony. It's something that has never happened in our league with the stat correction changing the outcome of a game. So you go into uh, that Tuesday morning not even expecting something like that to happen. Um, and then in a, in a game that was that monumental, that had that much at stake, you know, it had been the entire talking point the week before on the podcast. You had your Aunt Mary Beth and Uncle Doug on, who know both of them very well, uh, who issued the challenge that the loser would paint their shed um, just for a game that had that much riding on it to come down to a stat correction like this to change it. Uh, this ended up being the runaway top moment of, of the season. I, I think both of us, when we sat down to, to put this list together, that was the first one that came to mind for both of us. It was just, um, how do you pick against this? Um, with the amount of bragging rights at stake uh, against Steve, who had been a two-time defending champion here, uh, it's just, the, the story was just perfect. <laughs> and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that we had... Yeah, we had Dave on in week 11, 
which we recorded on Tuesday night. So when Dave came on on Tuesday, he thought he lost. And then we had to throw in a quick edit. Uh, or I, we waited until the next week, I guess, to to fix it. But Dave came on the podcast thinking he lost to Meanderwood Melee. Uh, and by the time it dropped, we knew that the scores had changed. But really a, a fantastic moment for our league and certainly for the podcast. And uh, that's why that's why we do this to to really highlight these moments. Uh, but definitely, definitely the top moment by a by a runaway, like you said. Um, so it's it's been uh, certainly a fun journey here. And these top five moments are something we reflect on uh, quite joyfully. And that will do it for our final installment of this season's Frosty Podcast. We will still have a couple special episodes moving forward, certainly the ACT episode. uh, But for our regular weekly production, this will do it. The Frosty Podcast is presented by Steel Valley Media. On behalf of the Fortune 500 League, I'm your host, Eric Frost. Your co-host is Tony Perenni. Our interns are Dave Pestian and Vince, the champion Gorgonzola. Thank you to all of our listeners for, throughout the season, all of our guest pickers, all of our guests. We've really appreciated it. You've helped make this podcast a lot of fun uh, to make and to listen to. We wish everybody happy holidays, certainly a happy new year. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time. Hi there. We've had a lot of fun this season, but on a more serious note, this is the season where we all remember the importance of giving, and there's no greater gift to give than the gift of booty. So this holiday season, bang someone in need. I'm Tony Parenti, and that's one to grow on.